0: Ephesians, or no, the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse number 10, it said, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now at the last your care of me hath flourished again Strengtheneth me let's pray our gracious heavenly father lord i pray that you'll be with us here this morning though it may be rainy and dreary outside of the building lord may it not be rainy and dreary in here i know that some of us lord even today are fighting illnesses under the weather, Lord. I pray that you alleviate those uh, situations, Lord, and allow us to focus here in this hour. I pray that you'll give me the words to speak. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. May we understand this morning what it means to to have a, a satisfied life. May we understand that you are the key to contentment, not circumstances, not situations, but you. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this morning and this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, I attended a lecture on the anthropomorphic affairs of the nation. I know that sounds really exciting. It's the study of human characteristics this man who began to set out on this lecture began to explain that America at a whole is in a crisis. Not only just America alone, the, the world as a whole is in a state of crisis. He said humanity is lonely. Humanity is unsatisfied. He said humanity feels completely lost. There was a poll that was recently done on college students. It said that 43% of college students are too depressed to function. 64% of college students experience crippling anxiety. So how is this even possible? I mean, really, really think about this. How is this even a possible in our world today, with this, how advanced as we are, that we're even in this condition. We are further advanced in the world in being able to understand the mind, to study the brain, than any, uh, than any other time in the world. Now, we understand it all the more. Yet, when you watch the news, we are at a mental, mental health crisis. That's all you hear. We have a mental health crisis. There's a, a mental health crisis. We have more entertainment, more games, more movies, more anything available in this time in which we live than any other time in the world. And yet, due to recent polls, do you know what they said? Humanity is bored. People are bored with life. They don't see that there's any purpose, any satisfaction, any hope, any direction. The the poll said that 90% of people said they're bored. It's weird that we live in an opportunity in, in a nation, even us here today, we live in an opportunity to be more prosperous than at any other time in the world. And yet people are unsatisfied with the amount of opportunity that has been given them. We are saturated in a culture where we have the doctors providing drugs. And do you know what they're providing drugs for? Uh, This man in his lecture said that drugs are being provided to provide a way for people just to be able to cope with living. No matter what happens, it seems that People are not satisfied. We've become somewhat successful at helping make people cope with this world in which we live. Yet, that we've became successful at helping people cope in the world we, in which we live, we've not addressed the problem. You know, this summer, I don't know if you guys are Cincinnati Zoo people, we're Cincinnati Zoo people. So the zoo is launching this summer this huge program. It's called More Home to Rome. Starting last year into this year, they raised over $150 million to expand the habitat of the creatures, the animals that are living within these habitats. The thought process about expanding this habitat for these animals is that it's going to give them more space, more freedom. And why, what is this is all about is that the zoo has a desire to convince the animal that it's in its natural habitat. Yet it said that even though they spend all of this money to do such a thing, that many times that these animals arrive at a state of zucosis. Now, Zookosis is this process that this animal knows that something's wrong. No matter how much the zoo has tried to provide it a habitat, no matter how good of food it feeds it, no matter how good its health is, and maybe even healthier, you know, to say in a physical standpoint, um, through medication in the zoo than it would be in the wild, the animal still recognizes something is wrong. This is not the habitat in which I belong. So zoocosis means that the animal then sets out to do destructive things to itself because something is wrong within the habitat. As I sat there and listened to the lecture yesterday, I am reminded that is exactly where the world is. We are in a state of zoocosis. We dwell within a habitat, this world in which we live, yet deep down inside of us, all of humanity recognizes something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is missing from our lives. So the world enters into its own state of zoocosis through drugs, through pornography through self-mutilation, which we see plenty of today, through addiction to social media, through this continual downward spiral. And what is going on? People are just wanting to be satisfied. They want to find purpose. They want to find meaning. They want to find this state of contentment in this life in which they live. They recognize this absence and they're trying to plug it. And they're plugging it with all of the wrong things. The world has gone headfirst into sin because there is something inside of mankind that is missing it doesn't matter whether you go and travel the world and see the majestic mountains. It doesn't matter whether you see the Grand Canyons and all of creation and all of the drugs and all of the pharmacy. It does not satisfy. And that's the way it is. And But by the way, this was never the way it was supposed to be. Man was never supposed to be apart from God. In the original creation, we dwelt with God. There was fellowship with God. But we understand that by sin, uh, that, but sin entered the world, and death by sin. And there was a spiritual separation. And ever since that day, mankind has trying, been trying to plug the void that is missing in their heart with everything else. Except God. Only God can satisfy Only God can satisfy us through every situation in life. And I understand that there are needs for medication at times, but it is my belief that the whole humanity, the struggle with the whole of humanity is that the heart is far from God. Relationship with drugs won't fix it. Relationship with others won't fix it. Relationship with movie games won't fix it. Movies and games won't fix it. Our hearts needed someone. And we as believers at times, we we really, though we don't really recognize this, as believers at times, we help contribute to the downward spiral of humanity. How is this? By having what it takes to satisfy and yet bad-mouthing the one who satisfies. By living this Christian life, by being saved in Christ, Paul says here, In Christ, he has found all the satisfaction in this life that he could ever need. Yet, when we go to work and we badmouth our situation, when we go to work and we badmouth our finances and we badmouth our health and we badmouth all of these other things, what we're really doing is badmouthing the one who could satisfy us in those situations. Venting to your coworker isn't going to fix your problems. Venting to your friend isn't going to fix your problems. They're not going to satisfy what's missing in your heart about this situation that you are in. When God allows certain situations in our lives, and we begin to moan and complain, really, we're nothing but modern-day children of Israel. God delivered Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. And when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, the Bible says that they begin to praise the Lord. They worship the Lord. They dance before the Lord. And then within a few short times, a few short months, here we find these same people moaning and complaining about the Lord. The same one who delivered him. They ended up accusing him Daily. This is not how the world should see us, that we've been, we proclaim that we've been delivered and then yet now we're in this life complaining about the circumstances in which we are in. What we are here in this world, we are satisfied. We're called to be satisfied. We're called to be content. Paul said, in whatever state I'm in, I'm content. Whether I'm abased, whether I'm abound, in any situation, rich or poor, I have found a, a way to be content in Christ. I hope that when you realize this morning or if you're here this morning and you survey your heart, I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is when the world views us, not how we view ourselves, when the world views us in the workforce, in in the grocery store, do they see someone who is satisfied because of Christ? Do they see someone who's satisfied in life? Or when they look upon us, do they say, wow, you know, every time I turn around, they're trying to get something else. They're trying to do something else. You can really tell that there's something missing. This portion of Philippians, Paul said that the satisfied Christian life that he was in was the outpouring of what he had learned in the classroom of serving the Lord. Paul's sitting here in prison, and it's not like prison today. The prisoners of this day, they were responsible for meeting their own physical needs. Paul had found himself where he was completely relying on God to sustain him. The church of Philippi set forth love again, and he praised God for it. Now, now understand, this is the way that God works. Throughout the Bible, God used a donkey, God can use a rock, and God could use mankind. But at the end of the day, whether it's God using a rock to bring forth water, or whether it's God using a donkey to save a man, or whether it's God using a person to be a blessing to another, it all comes back to God being the one who's blessing. So here in verse 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Paul, in this situation of being without, rejoiced at the fact that there were other believers who were mindful of others. A few weeks ago, when we looked at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul said, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others one of the main keys to living a consistent christian life a, a consistent life of thanksgiving is living a life of where our main desire is to be a blessing to others you know why so many believers aren't satisfied because there's so many self-centered believers it's just a natural fact. Paul said, I found myself in a state of wanting. I found myself in a, such a state of desire, meaning not that he was desiring, but he had needs, so to say. But those needs were met through other people being mindful of others. God has put in our hearts an example that we should lavishly pour out upon each other. When we get to Psalms chapter 23, David doesn't open up the Psalms and say, my cup was quarter filled, does it? He doesn't say my cup was half full. He said, my cup runneth over. This is how David viewed God in his shepherding of himself. And this is the way that God is upon us. God is not like us. When I'm at home and I'm sitting on the couch and I look into the kitchen and watch my son pour his tea all the way up to the top and two ounces of tea spill over, I become angry. My wife almost has to put the defibrillator to me because he wasted those precious two ounces. But God is not like us. God lavishly pours out upon us. David says, my cup runneth over. God has set forth before us the precedence of pouring out more upon us than we ever need. And that same example is what the church at Philippi did to Paul, pouring out upon a brother or sister in need. Uh, The key to being satisfied in this life is living your life based on others. If we spent time looking at others in need, we would recognize we don't have it that bad. There may be people in the church you may think right now that you have it bad and you can guarantee there's others who have it worse. Or you may even come to the reality that you wouldn't exchange what you think you have as bad for what others may think they have as bad. Even more in the story there of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home, what happens with this father? He kills the fatted calf He sets forth to have this lavish party. He takes his robe and puts it upon the prodigal son. He puts the ring on his finger. Here the father again sets forth the example how he lavishly pours out upon those who do not deserve it. The key to being consistent here is that we set out our hearts to lavishly pour out upon others in the faith. Paul says that's exactly where we have to live, thinking of others, wanting to be the instrument in which God uses to bless others. So in this, there is the reality that, that we have to be mindful of other believers. But Paul said, know this, I, not that I speak here, he goes on to say in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. He said, not that I speak in respect of what, while I'm sitting back here telling you that I'm also thankful that you guys have poured out this blessing upon me, and I rejoice greatly for it. He said, not that I speak in respect of what, meaning that, I'm not that I'm speaking in a situation where I'm bad-mouthing God, that he hasn't sustained me that I'm not bad-mouthing God, that he's not taking care of me right now. I'm thankful for the blessing, but even if it didn't come, God has done right and well by his taking care of me. My cup is still running over. He was satisfied in his life, even though it seemed like it was an unsatisfied state. We have to learn to speak in the state that even in whatever current position we are in, we are satisfied. Nothing is more contradictory to being satisfied than to spend our days speaking of want. Paul says here, I, I do want you to know, though, he says, I have learned some things. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Notice what he says there. For I have learned. And whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I both know how to be abased and know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Paul there lays out his satisfaction. His all in all was in Christ. But Paul says for the believer... We should be able, in the world, in all situations, in the same imagery of this Father who pours out lavishly, um, how Christ poured out lavishly upon us, we should see our satisfaction. The world should see our satisfaction. The world should see our joy in Christ. But Paul says, listen, I I wasn't always this way. I just didn't wake up one day saved, satisfied, in everything that I experienced in this life. It didn't just come like that. He said, for I have learned. I had to learn some things along in this Christian life. I had to learn to be satisfied. I had to learn to be thankful. I had to learn to have joy in prison. I had to learn to sing from the prison cell. I had to learn these things. They they didn't come naturally to me. This Greek word uh, for learned is the word menthano. It means to learn by experience. It means to to discover and genuinely understand and accept a teaching as true in one's life. Not only to accept it as true, but he says it's even more that when you've learned it and you accept it as true, this word means that you have applied it as true in one's life. You see, it indicates that something has happened in in the person's mind that has produced An external effect. Paul said, I've learned it. I've learned it to be true. I've learned it in my heart. I've accepted it in my mind. And it has produced an external effect in my life. It's changed who I am. I have a deeper understanding now of who I am with the Lord. Paul is saying he had to learn through experiences, both easy and difficult situations, that he arrived here at the situation where he's satisfied in Jesus. Well, how do I get here? Paul said it's by learning. In order to have a satisfied life, you have to have a teachable spirit. If you don't have a teachable spirit, if you're so dogmatic, if you're so blue-headed with the way that you see things should be, and you don't have a teachable spirit, you will not be content. You will not be satisfied. Paul said, I had to learn some things. I had to come to a pace, a place where I, I wanted to be taught. I, I wanted to trust. I wanted to lean. You know, in my own personal life, I have learned some things. I've learned some things since I've been saved. I'm sure we could all testify about some things we've learned since we've been saved. I've learned some things since I've been a pastor. I have learned that the person that I desire to be as a pastor and even as a believer, I have learned that the person that I wanted to be, I'm still not yet, and it's taken a lot longer than I expected. I've learned that. I have a desire to be so much more, but I have learned that that I am content with where God has brought me thus far. I have learned since I've been a pastor that it's best not to leave your loved ones with bad words or on harsh statements. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your eyes. You know, since I've been pastor, I have seen family members of people die and other people were brokenhearted with how they left them. I learned that. I have learned that you can do something at one moment in your life that will cause you heartache for the rest of your life. I have learned that even when you think God is not working, God is still working. I have learned that if you will not control your bad attitude, your bad attitude will control you. I have learned that as much as I love God's word, that learning it is hard work and applying it is even harder. And so we all sit back and say, just like Paul in the same thought process, we have learned some things. We have, we have made progress in the Christian life. Oftentimes we say, well, I, I don't know that I've made any progress since I've been saved. If you can sit back and testify that you've learned some things since you've been saved, that things weren't exactly as you expected, you're making progress. The Lord has showed that to us. And with that same thought in mind, Paul says, I have learned that the secret of my satisfaction is through his power. That was something that I had to learn. That he says there in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. I have learned that the secret of satisfaction in my Christian life isn't on my own strength. It's on God's. It's on the Lord's. It's his strength alone that could bring me to a place of satisfaction. He said, I, have, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Most of us understand what it means to be abased. Abased comes from this Greek word. It kind of paints the imagery of a riverbed that's drying up. Many of us has probably walked up upon a creek bed in the summertime and seen that the water's no longer flowing down the creek, but there's just a few puddles of water there in the creek bed. That's what this word abased means. Paul is saying, I know how to run low in life. Now, what some people would say, I know how to run low in life. I've always run low. My finances are always low. We barely have any money at all. I've been running low my whole entire life. I've never had a lot. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I know how to be abased. Not that he knows what it means to be abased. We all know what it means to be abased. But Paul said, I know how to be. It. There's a difference. Paul says, I know how to run low. I know how to be low on money. I know how to be low on the riches of the world. I know how what it means to be low and not be able to afford the food that we want. I know how to be those things. I know how to be that way and still not lose my joy. I know how to be abased and still not question God. I know how to be that way and not speak ill of him. I know how to be that way and still have the utmost utterance from my lips that I'm satisfied in him. Paul says, I know how to be that way, not that I am that way. Paul said, I did not always feel satisfied in those situations, but I have learned. I have learned. I have learned, and that's where the challenge is to us that when our health is not where we want it to be, that we're still satisfied that the fact that though our health be fleeting us, though our youth be fleeting us, that Christ is still ever with us, that Paul says, I have learned that though my finances may not be where I want it, God has still successfully supplied all my needs. I've still been fed today. There's still a roof over my head. The heat is still on. I have dry clothes on. Even though I don't have the finances of the world, God has taken care of His own. Even though my family is not where I want it to be, though I want more of my family to be saved, though I want my family to be here worshiping God with me, though I want them to be members here, even though that is. Not the case for me today. I have learned to be satisfied that God was still gracious enough to pour out from heaven his loving grace in my life. I have learned to be satisfied that though they are not saved, God has given me enough breath and strength and understanding of God's word to teach them and to preach to them how they can be saved. I have learned to be satisfied and content in what God has has done in my life and if we're going to be successful in showing the world according to the study that was given out yesterday what it means to be satisfied then we as believers are going to have to first project the image and the understanding to the world that in christ is the greatest satisfaction known to this world paul said When I was in a low point in my life, he began to realize in that low point, school was in session. God was teaching him, your health's not where you want it, your freedom's not where you like it to be. Be satisfied. Be comforted. Be joyful. Next time you hear news from the doctor, Next time you see a lost loved one, next time you balance the checkbook, take the step forward by faith and say, God, Lord, I know I'm entering into your classroom to where you're trying to teach me something here. Lord, teach me. Teach me to be satisfied. You know, this attitude, it's not just what Paul is proclaiming. Paul says, listen, I've done this and it worked. If, you can, if we had time, we could go back and read Acts chapter 16. Remember what happened in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer? They were beaten. They were in prison. And at midnight, they sang and they praised and they worshiped God. And what happened? The Philippian jailer was saved because they were able to get beyond the situation, even though they were mistreated and wrong. They were still able, Paul and Silas, to say, "We're still satisfied. And if people would look upon us in our illnesses and our weaknesses and our frailties and say, "Look how satisfied they are, it may just be what it takes to be the testimony to impact their life and turn them to Christ." We, he said he learned both how to be abased and both how to abound Satan often tries to use the advancements of life these opportunities of moving forward to derail us it's not just moments of poverty it's moments of advancement moments of advancement we run the risk in our hearts to believe that we have entered into a state where we do not need the Lord that our finances are finally strong enough to keep us, that our assets are finally strong enough in a place that where we do not need the Lord. But, you know, no better example really in the Old Testament of this was Joseph. When he was in the pit, when he was sold off into slavery, when he was lied on by Potiphar's wife, when he was thrown into prison, when he was interpreting the dreams for the butler, When he was uh, brought back out of there and put over Potiphar's house, then he was put second in the kingdom. What happened? It did not matter where Joseph was based or abound. It didn't matter whether it was lust or lies. It didn't matter whether it was prosperity or broke. Nothing could bring Joseph to a place where he would abandon who he was in Christ. And that's exactly where Paul's calling us to be. It doesn't matter lust or lies, prosperity or being broke. Paul says, whatever the situation is, I can learn to be satisfied. How did I learn this? I learned it from the Lord. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He said, I've, I've learned to handle all of life's ups and downs in Christ, in his strength. The diagnosis I heard yesterday, church, was something dismal and terrifying. That the world recognizes that something is wrong. They long to be satisfied. They long to have peace. They long to have hope. It's even worse than that. You know, to know that something is wrong. They not only know that something is wrong, but they also recognize that it's going to take something else to fill it. And yet they're looking in all the wrong places and all the wrong courses of this life. I hope that in our lives that we should be challenged. That whatever situation we enter to, it doesn't matter what it is in this life, that when we enter in it, we are challenged at the opening of it. That no matter what happens in this situation, that I will learn to be satisfied with whatever God brings me out on the other side of this. I will learn to be satisfied. I will learn to praise him in this storm. I will learn to magnify his name. Because we have to be acutely aware that others are watching. And this life isn't about you. It's about others. It's about others. It's not about your personal situation. It's about others in the church. And what it ain't about others in the church, it's about others in the world. Everything in the Christian life, even how we live, it's not to magnify ourselves. Who's it to magnify? It's to magnify Christ. In all that we do, we are not our own who we have been bought with a price. May we go out today reminding ourselves that the world acknowledges that something's wrong. the world acknowledges that they're not satisfied, and may we remind ourselves daily that what we have what we have in Christ has the ability to produce the ultimate satisfaction in life if we will just learn some things about serving the Lord. let's pray Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I I pray that our hearts are challenged to to wholeheartedly follow after you, to trust you in all circumstances, to keep our eyes focused on you, Lord. May this world see, Lord, no matter what our circumstances are, whatever inconveniences we face, may, may they never see it disrupt our demeanor. May we keep a joyful spirit, a a satisfied spirit, a thankful spirit, that we understand that, uh, that there's nothing worse in this world than an unsatisfied Christian. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.